Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. It's a beautiful good morning from the city of Cape Town. I am fortunate to be here. I just had a beautiful, beautiful walk on the beachfront. The weather is crisp. Uh, the air is clear. There is no more smoke. And it is absolutely invigorating to be by the beachfront. Good morning, Fagy. Good morning, Adol. You sound closer than in Johannesburg. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to stay here. You know, I was marveling just... You know, with technology today, you can you, you can be on the top of, of the world, the bottom of the world, or anywhere in between, and you just can be in people's places and spaces. It's actually quite amazing. And you can sometimes accomplish even more. Indeed, indeed. Um, today, we are going to continue our discussion about the management of stress, which I think is perhaps one of uh, the most discussions that anybody can have, because stress does 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 encroach on our lifestyle. It doesn't matter how sedentary or how busy we are, and probably the majority of people are working, uh, you know, on a much much higher stress level than before. And it is our pleasure to invite back to the show Richard Sutton, who is a health and performance educator consultant. He is considered to be one of the foremost experts in his field. He's advised athletes, Olympic teams, and national sporting federations. He's lectured at a postgraduate level in the areas of pain management, health, athletic development, and he consults to many companies on stress resilience, employee engagement, productivity, and most important, stress. We've had him on the show before, and it is our pleasure again. Good morning, Richard. Uh, good morning, and thank you for having me back. We're, we're, we're thrilled to have you back because I learned so much. I actually did modify myself and change some things. I think I'm meditating better. I'm breathing better. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm gung ho, you know, that one of the things that we can't, we can't help, we can't help stress. Um, it's just part of today's, uh, today's, today's lifestyle, but we can help ourselves manage the stress. And I think that the last time we were together, we were talking about oxytocin. So I just want to bring it back onto the table. And uh, give it over to you if there's anything more that you want to say on that. And then we're going to learn about something fascinating that I've honestly not heard of, and that's BDNF. But let's keep it. Let's keep oxytocin on the front burner. And uh, Richard, what more do you want to add to our discussion? So I think it would be valuable just for for those um, listeners who did not get to hear the first session or the first show. Um, just to recap briefly as to the conversation and, and some of the key points that were brought up last time. So a lot of the conversation was on the acknowledgement that the stresses we confronted with are many times beyond our control, the high demands, the long working hours, the work family conflict, uh, changes in the way we relate to others and changes in work and changes within broader society. These things are fundamentally almost immovable objects, but we can change ourselves and we can modify our behaviors and our actions and our perceptions um, very successfully, in fact. The whole narrative really shifted to this concept of resilience, which is adaptability from an emotional perspective, from a physical standpoint, cognitive standpoint, basically being able to adapt successfully to 
this ever-changing world and ever-modifying world that we live in. At the same time, resilience is about bouncing back once you have setbacks, and setbacks are becoming more commonplace and, and more prevalent, and we're all subject to setbacks, and it's how we bounce back and how we dust ourselves off that really determines our ability to be successful in this, this new world that we live in. And fundamentally, where we kind of converging in the conversation is, is a story about the best version of self or the best version of our kids or the best version of our family members or team members at work. That's really what the conversation is about. And there's been a, a tremendous wealth of information that has flowed into understanding resilience. And the, the big trigger was really the Great Recession in 2008 and just understanding how this economic shift and recalibration really affected people on an emotional level and the high prevalence of mental health and physical health issues and, and reported stress and absenteeism in the workplace. And it's nothing compared to now, to be quite honest. Yeah. But but what we've seen is just a wealth of research trying to understand and unpack this concept of being adaptable, being able to be exposed to new circumstances, new environments, and thrive under those conditions. And we all want our kids to thrive under new sets of conditions and ourselves. The greatest insights really came from, in the, in the space of residents, came from military units, elite military units, who subjected to very extreme situations, a lot of volatility, uh, a lot of complexity, much the same as, as we confront it with now, but obviously on a larger, more intense scale. And there's been some tremendous insights from these elite military units, Navy SEALs, and, and a whole bunch of different uh, special special forces around the world. And this, we're drawing a lot of insights and inspiration from those points that we can apply to our own lives um, in some or other way. But at the same time, the other big source of inspiration was winning Olympic athletes. And it's there's a tremendous wealth of literature and research into what drives success in these individuals who have these very difficult roads in life, difficult paths in life, and have one opportunity to excel um, amid a group that is highly talented who wants the same thing as them, and there's only one place on the podium for a gold medal. So so really great and in, insightful thoughts have come through through many uh, research projects and, and absolute wealth of information. Now, the summary of, of the military perspective, the elite military units around the world saying, like, what is it that creates resilience? How do certain individuals in our groups adapt to the challenges they're confronted with and others don't? What is that defining underpinning elements? And what most of the research is saying and some of the best research papers are saying is that resilience in that context is really defined by one's health, is really defined by one's fitness and physical strength. So it was previously thought that these individuals who cope with difficult situations have this edge psychologically and what has now unfolded and, and been exposed what is the fact that the fitter individuals, the healthy individuals cope better with change and cope better with complexity. And it's a very empowering thing for us because it's something that we can change in our lives fairly quickly, rapidly and easily. At the same time, we've got, we've got this this athletic position. Um, so we've got athletes uh, around around the world that have start their journeys and their careers from the age of six, and they're op operating literally on one platform, and that platform is to succeed at the Olympic Games. And they forego education, and they forego relationships and friends, and there's loneliness, and there's setbacks, and there's injuries, and there's performance declines, and everything that you can possibly imagine along the way. And then once they achieve that, 
it's all over and then they've got to recalibrate and position themselves. But there's a, a, a certain set of characteristics that exist in the champions, those individuals who are not necessarily more talented than the others, but have this incredible capacity, this incredible ability to make it count when it matters. And I think that's really important for us now. We're subject to setbacks and limited opportunities. But when we do get a half gap and a half opportunity, how do we make ourselves more effective in that small opportunity on that small window? And we can learn from these individuals. And what we see in, in research, and it was a brilliant paper that really followed the lives of 12 very successful Olympic athletes of many decades. And what they found was that every time they get subjected to setbacks and failures and disappointments, they see that as an opportunity, an opportunity to recalibrate, an opportunity to re, reinvestigate the way they're doing things, an opportunity to grow and move. And we, we typically see it as, as something that is, is destructive and something that is negative. And it's a very different mindset. And it really helps them move forward as opposed to others who don't have that position remain in a very static position. Indeed, indeed. And I think the main word over here is opportunity, that one actually does a mind shift. We are going to go for a little bit of a break. And we're speaking to Richard Sutton about resilience, about stress, and uh, what actually happens to us neurologically when we're you know, in a difficult situation. Keep to the dial. We'll be back very soon. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We have Richard Sutton with us, and we are discussing opportunity, resilience, um, the ability to, to navigate through difficult circumstances. Can we zoom in now? Um, Richard, we were talking about oxytocin. Can we just go again quickly um, as to what the benefits are and how we actually increase oxytocin, which is a neurotransmitter, um, you know, um, in ourselves? Absolutely, absolutely. So what what oxytocin offers us is the potential to be more effective and more successful in our lives for a number of different reasons. If we're looking for IQ and motivation and drive and confidence and self-worth and focus and attention and connection with others and the ability to be adaptable and rationalize emotion and optimism and persistence, all these factors which really determine our success in life, they fall under the auspices or the umbrella of resilience. Now, from a, a resilience perspective, resilience is driven strongly from a neurochemical or hormonal perspective. So there's seven major systems that contribute to our ability to thrive and succeed and, and overcome obstacles in life. And one of the primary ones is this molecule and this neurotransmitter and this hormone known as oxytocin. There are several others which I'm going to unpack um, uh, just uh, following this. But in terms of oxytocin and, and what it offers us, it's, it's quite remarkable. I mean, it's, it's almost incredible what it, what it does for us. Oxytocin's one of its main functions is to inhibit the, the brain's primary fear and stress center, which is known as the amygdala. Oxytocin from a behavioral standpoint, if we release it, we're able to become more courageous and we become calmer and we become more empathetic and more optimistic. And we have this tremendous trust and belief in ourselves and self-esteem and trust in others and connectivity. Many organizations or many businesses um, can be measured in terms of levels of oxytocin and levels of trust. And there's a certain correlation towards productivity and success within those businesses. It falls within the, the science of neuroeconomics. 
Oxytocin also has these powerful anti-inflammatory effects, so it can reduce inflammation and reduce many the risk of many diseases. It has antioxidant qualities. It lowers blood pressure. It lowers the stress hormone cortisol. It also increases certain hormones like growth hormone and insulin growth factor, serotonin and BDNF, which I'm going to talk to you um, in, in just a bit. But oxytocin has the most remarkable effect on us on a physical level, on a behavioral level, on an emotional level. And it's one of those molecules that really defines our ability in life, our ability to connect with others, our ability to lead. In fact, it's, it's really one of the big leadership molecules. Now, there's several ways in which we can, which we talked to last time, we can increase oxytocin levels within ourselves. Yoga is a good example. 12 to 20 minutes of yoga will evoke an oxytocin release if you're performing aerobic exercise, walking, cycling, running, swimming. For 10 minutes or longer, there will be a spike in oxytocin. If you have any physical therapy, massage or reflexology or physio or chiro, that will evoke an oxytocin release. And we also have opportunities in terms of listening to relaxing, calming music um, that will evoke this, this incredible, incredible molecule and incredible hormone. But we also have this, this opportunity to use nutritional supplements, supplements like vitamin C and magnesium, uh, certain probiotics like Rotary and even an adaptogen known as quercetin can raise oxytocin levels. And when we, we're looking to really create stability in the system, which really underpins so many factors in our life, our ability to control stress and fearlessness and self-worth and self-belief and calmness, and the list goes on. It is, is a really, really powerful platform for growth and development and success in life. If we're looking to underpin this, we want to put together this complete routine where once a day or several times a day, there's some sort of trigger just raising and elevating and augmenting this molecule. But there are much bigger and much stronger triggers. And we talked to this in the last session, and one of those big triggers is meditation, but not just any meditation, a form of meditation known as loving-kindness meditation. And loving-kindness meditation really starts off with a narrative, you know, basically saying, may I be healthy and happy and well and may I sleep well and, and very positive narrative towards oneself, which is really important this time because there's so much self-lambasting and flagellation and we, we, we have this negative relationship with self when we get stressed and it really rebuilds our relationship with self so we can build our relationship with others. And then the, the narrative turns to someone close to you and someone a little bit more removed and someone that you've got a, a bit of a verbal with and, and, and it kind of really, it really expands beyond that. Very powerful and you can get, you can look it up online on YouTube. If you've got an app like Calm, there's a loving kindness section. Very powerful and it's an oxytocin trigger, a very, very powerful one. At the same time, we've got physical contact. So when we hug someone or when there's more intimate relationships or there's strong eye contact or handshake, we will release oxytocin. And um, what we're looking to try and achieve outside of COVID conditions and all the precautions that are necessary is about eight physical contacts a day. So it'll be people within the inner circle in these times for periods of about 20 seconds. And that can evoke a tremendous shift in our neurochemistry and biology, which we can really transform our lives. But this being said, there's an exceptional factor, an exceptional factor that really transforms our, our well-being, our health, our emotional health, our emotional well-being, and our relationship to stress. And, and that is pro-social behaviors. And it's something that is really underpinned by moral society, something that is really important to moral societies. 
Now, pro-social behaviors encompass supporting others when you're in a crisis, they're in a crisis, care and empathy and compassion and charity. And these are the behaviors that actually evoke a tremendous spike in this molecule that almost in, in many respects determines our destiny as well as the path to that um, objective. If you look at the, I mean, there was a real, really great study just um, looking at stress relationships and offering support. And it's just something that I, I always kind of bring up and always um, revert to in these conversations. It was a study that involved 51 individuals who, students who were struggling with stress and, and anxiety. And what they did with these 51 individuals is they had the group separated into two randomly. So 25 and 26 individuals in their respective groups. And they were going to put them through a stress simulation, looking at stress hormones and blood pressure and anxiety responses and just trying to get a measure, something that's very tangible. Uh, what they did before the assessment was ask everyone to write a letter. And the group, one group, um, had to write a letter about their morning up until that point, the drive off to the lab and or their interaction with, with family members or what was on the radio or whatever was happening in their morning. Five minutes later on just what's going on in life. The other group had to connect to someone who's going through a struggle, who's in pain, who's really grappling with certain issues. And they had to write a letter of support before they were going to go into a stress simulation. And that was the, the whole model and methodology of the study. Now, what they were looking for was outcomes in terms of that context. And so now what we have is a, a scenario or a situation where you've got individuals basically offering support. They're going into a stress simulation and they're going to be monitored in terms of anxiety, stress, hormone, blood pressure. To cut a long story short, those individuals who wrote a letter about their morning, those, in, those individuals, there was no elevations in oxytocin. Their stress hormones were considered to be normal, a 400% spike in, in stress hormones, a spike in blood pressure, raised anxiety, everything that came along with it. When they looked at those individuals who wrote that letter of support just before the stress simulation, they reported considerably less anxiety. Their blood pressure did not spike, their oxytocin spike, their stress hormones did not raise appreciably. And that is the power of these actions and behaviors. And this is not the only study by, by a long church. There was actually four studies involving 300 people, I think it was the University of, of Berkeley, uh, the Ber at University of California, the, the Berkeley campus, the University of Toronto and the University of Arizona that collaborated on the study. They were looking at compassion. Um, just basically, you're just being compassionate to people when you're going through a crisis and how it affects your blood pressure and heart rate and cortisol and inflammation. And, and what the, the researchers found was that when we express compassion, when we're going through crisis to another person, we put someone else first, um, our stress hormone levels drop, our blood pressure drops, our cortisol drops, our inflammation levels drop, and, and, and so on and so on. And this is the power of these behaviors that really – constitutes um, the, the epitome of what we're striving for, and that is a moral society. But mm. just landing on this thing, this, this topic for, you know, the last piece, there was a collaborative study, and it, it was a collaborative study between Yale University School of Medicine and the University of California. And they were looking at all stresses and looking at stress in the relationship to mental health and stress in the relationship to pro-social act, actions and behaviors like support and compassion and charity when we're going through things, which often is almost antagonistic to how we behave. When, when we go through something or we challenge, we tend to introvert and we tend to become very insular and we, we're not the best version of ourselves for a number of different reasons. 
And what the researchers knew going in is that we produce oxytocin in response to pro-social acts and, and copious amounts of oxytocin. We know that oxytocin protects against mental health issues and emotional instabilities. So the researchers go into the study, they, they have a, a fairly large group, and they're looking at the individuals and how many stresses they experience in an average week. This is pre-COVID, just before COVID. And it was about four to five stresses. I think we're experiencing the same now, but the magnitude is, is far greater. And they looked at people's pro-social tendencies. And what they found was the average in the group was 11 pro-social acts a week, which is incredible. I think people are intrinsically really good. Now, what they were looking at not so much was how many stresses and how many pro-social acts, but this relationship, this balance between stress and mental health issues like low mood and depression and anxiety and anger and, and worry, everything that kind of relates in that space. And, and what they found was those individuals who experienced stress and did suffer from mental health issues that correlated to the stress, they were involved in less than 11 pro-social acts a week consistently across the board. When they looked at those individuals who performed more than 11 pro-social acts every single week, and they were looking for the relationship to mental health, if it existed at all, what they found was there was no prevalence of mental health issues in the group that performed more than 11 acts. And they attribute it to oxytocin. And that just shows us the power of this molecule and how our behavior determines our reality in these times. Practically speaking, what would those pro-social acts be? The pro-social acts would be caring for others. It would be empathy, like really identifying with someone else's challenges and not dismissing them. It would be charity, giving of time and giving of resources. Um, it would be compassion, listening to people, you know, even if we don't have time and being compassionate. And uh, one of the biggest ones was support, just supporting people through their crisis. Sometimes we don't have anything to say, but just by being there and making that phone call and sending that text message when you know someone's in crisis is transformative. Yes. But this is really where we've landed now is, is this self-narrative and how can we improve our coping mechanisms and how can we become fearless in the face of, of uncertainty and this overwhelming set that we're confronted with and how can we be calm when we feel anxious and how can we, we really be that best version of self with self-belief and self-worth and optimism and, and oxytocin is the key that unlocks that door. And everything I've discussed now, you know, the nutritional strategies and the lifestyle strategies and the connection with people and the behaviors really talk to our reality. But I think what's more important is how we can change others, how we can affect the lives of others from this perspective, this perspective being elevating oxytocin in those around us for their benefit. If I, sorry, if I, I could summarize what it is that you're saying, tell me that I'm wrong, is that uh, the bottom line is, is we've got really one of two choices. We can become selfish, uh, you know, a people who really are concerned about ourselves and what we get out of this world and what we do, and that like puts us into a hellhole, or we make the choice uh, cognitively, maybe even against our selfish tendencies to go out into the world and to be become a productive human being, a kind human being, a connected human being. And that is all just reflected in the, in the chemistry of our bodies, you know, and, and, and that like sets us either on one of two paths. Either you're going to land up with all, you're going to allow stress to eat you up because you're just going to sit and bemoan yourself that, you know, you found yourself in, in this bad situation or this negative place. 
or you go out and, and, and you start changing the way you, you look at the world and then the world starts changing, your body starts changing, your health starts changing, your mental perceptions of things start changing. And that's really, for me, as I'm hearing you speak, is, is just, I think that's the choice, you know. I know that books have been written about the choice, but it's actually just being either imprisoned in your perceptions or moving out and, and actually being a human being that can um, engage exactly. you know, with others. I think you summarized it really well. And uh, so the choice is the element. What what we're trying to unpack now and, and hopefully in a way that's understandable and relatable is the mechanism of this transformation. The mechanism saying that stress doesn't bring out the best version of us. When we when we get stressed, there's a 400% spike in stress hormones and a 70% increase, 17% increase in oxytocin. And unfortunately, that ratio does not bring out the, the the person within we become more insular we become more anxious more worried more self orientated we we start connecting less and and this is the way we shift we say that okay well the molecule of trust and the molecule of connection the molecule of leadership and the molecule of of ready performance in in many domains and we see this in in professional sports team which I'll, I'll talk to you in a second but that molecule is oxytocin and we have the power to, to change it. We can't confer, sometimes we can't change the stress that we, we subjected to, but we know that this molecule is the antidote that can inhibit the stress centers. And if we take this strategic approach, our coping mechanism will improve and the best version of self will start to, to come out and, and start to, to shine. And that's what we're asking for. You know, it, it, that's, I guess, what we're asking ourselves. Um, to do it, it's a path of challenge and it's a path of, path of struggle. It's not an easy road, but the rewards are, are incredible. Richard, would yeah. you then say that some people do have like a natural higher level of oxytocin and some less? And those people that obviously struggle with the, with anxiety, with depression, um, with helping people out there, et cetera, actually have the ability to change that? So there is, you know, in, in terms of the levels of oxytocin, there, there are variances into individual variances. Um, it's not so much with oxytocin as a molecule. It's got to do with a protein, a receptor protein that allows oxytocin to enter our cells. Um, so some individuals underproduce this. Um, you can do a genetic test for that. And, and if that's the case, there's got to be a greater emphasis towards driving this hormonal and molecular system to compensate for the lowered uh, transportation of this vital, vital neurochemical uh, and, and hormone. We're speaking to Richard Sutton, and we're talking about uh, oxytocin. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's 34519, or our telegram number is 061-895-1019. And while we're on a whole lot of numbers, if you'd like to join our WhatsApp group, uh, Faggy and I run a WhatsApp group where we drop a little uh, thought about better health and how to achieve uh, better health every single day. We don't, uh, you know, drive you crazy the entire day. You may do so by sending an email to info at highfm.com. Give us your name and don't forget your number and we will gladly join you. We're going to go for a bit of a break and we'll be back shortly. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. And uh, Richard, we have about 10 minutes left. Would we like to wrap up some more about oxytocin or should we be discussing BDNF? Well, there's almost the most important feature is, is coming. So I, I would okay. like to just um, complete this. Uh, and it's one of these topics that there, there's so much. Yes. 
depth and insight and there's so much value in unpacking and understanding this in terms of a from a transformative experience that I think it would be well served to just kind of finish this off and I think what we're talking about is that journey into self and transforming one's own life and using this molecule as the vehicle this this understanding of this molecule as a vehicle but what's equally important is transforming the lives of those who share a destiny with us and that encompasses family members and people at work and people at the office. And this is really a leadership piece here because if you want to help them cope with stress, the molecule that is going to transform their experience is going to be oxytocin. If if you want them to be less anxious and worried, oxytocin is going to promote that calmness. If you want them to connect better with each other and be more empathetic with each other, um, have a mutual trust that grows, oxytocin is the molecule. If you want confidence and self-worth and optimism to exude um, in any environment, this is the molecule. And the way, it's one thing to develop it and, and augment it in ourselves, but I think it's even more important to develop it in others. And our behaviors towards others really define um, almost the, their biology, um, what happens in terms of their neurochemical set and an overarching hormonal system. Now, what we're seeing is that if we want to drive oxytocin in the people around us, there's a variety of different things that we can do in order to create um, these hormonal shifts that are going to provide this antidote to the stress and challenges that we're confronted with. And the first thing is recognition. When we recognize others and we appreciate others and value others, it causes a significant spike in, in oxytocin and it builds connection between you and them. But there's certain rules and there's certain kind of prerequisites that are needed. If you recognize someone a month or two after an event or something that they've done well or performed exceptionally well on, it almost diminishes the oxytocin release. If we are to get that spike in oxytocin and that building of trust and the lowered um, stress responses, the recognition has to be as soon after the event or the accomplishment or achievement as possible, preferably within seven days. Also, if the recognition that we give to others is more in a public context, you know, where we say we really appreciate and you've really been such a value add to our team and our business and our school and where, whatever the context is, if you can make it more public, the, the spike of oxytocin just becomes uh, incredibly high. And I think recognition is, is the one thing that when we stress and we struggle and we're not coping, that's one of the first things to disappear. And I think that's a great tool for all of us to, to incorporate. Another great thing we can do for, for those around us is a stretch challenge. When, when we collaborate with others and we are part of a team and we've got to overcome little challenges and little obstacles and we're united in that, in that objective, it's an incredible oxytocin trigger. In fact, what you're likely to see is a 200% spike in oxytocin in response to a stretch challenge. And we often think that's, challenges and, and uh, those type of things that take people out their comfort zone, they evoke stress. But if it's well modulated and it's well constructed, it, it does the exact opposite. It actually, one, builds relationships and two, changes our, our chemistry. And if we accomplish the uh, desired objectives and then we get recognition for it, it's, it's a, a transformative experience. And it's the same thing for our kids. If we can just kind of push them, nudge them a little bit further and then recognize the efforts, it's an incredible model. At the same time, we can incorporate another set of behaviors like being transparent and, and sharing of information. And when we get stressed, I think we keep things very tight and very close to our chest. And if we can fight our natures and, and really kind of transform our mindset 
and be more transparent um, with everything that's going on in our lives, with our teams, with our families, and share as much information as, as they you feel they can cope with and they're comfortable with. I think that's another great connection piece and, and trust-building exercise, but it's also another shift in, in that oxytocin continuum. Giving people autonomy, uh, giving people you know, basically parameters, saying that this is what I need from you, uh, you know, A, B, and C, and this is the time frame that I, I need from you, uh, that I need it um, uh, achieved by, and then just allowing them to to do their thing and just giving them that freedom to make mistakes and freedom to create and be innovative and it's a big oxytocin trigger and it really is an act of growth facilitation. And when we facilitate the growth and we remove obstacles for others, um, hurdles for others, and, and really I've, I've had this so often in, in my career where I've had either coaches or, or athletes or teams just really go out of their way to help you grow and help you move. And the, the connection that it builds between us and, and the amount of inspiration and the stress experiences diminish. It's a very powerful thing to facilitate and be interested in the growth and development of others. And that is really important. Um, then there's two final pieces in terms of, of changing the neurochemistry of your environment. The, the first is the more trust we have in others, um, the more we'll spike oxytocin, the more they'll connect to us and the bigger the relationship builds and strengthens. And I, th I think that we've all been in that situation where we arrive uh, either in a profession or a job where we've got a superior, a manager, an owner who, who really trusts us, who, who gives us a full degree of, of trust and believes in our ability to succeed despite the setbacks that do come along the way. And we, we never let them down. It's just a, this amazing thing is that we'll stretch ourselves, we'll be more innovative, we'll be more dynamic, we'll do what it takes to find that solution. That, that trust piece is important. But in an environment where there's so much fragility economically, so much fragility from a relationship standpoint, that trust is, is really difficult. We, we're holding on so tightly, we're so controlled, and we're trying to move every piece and micromanage, and, and it doesn't fundamentally, it doesn't work in terms of building teams and building relationships and changing the neurochemistry of a collective set. And, and that trust piece is really big, and it really leads into that the final piece in terms of building relationships. And that is something that Brene Brown has, has built a career, uh, a very successful mm -hmm. career on, and that is vulnerability. You know, when people see that you are human, you do make mistakes, you do acknowledge those mistakes, you do take responsibility for those mistakes, um, I think that it just really fortifies relationship. And the minute you fortify a relationship and you strengthen a relationship, there's just the magic happens. There's an oxytocin release and everything changes for the individual and for the group. And it's these behaviors on a consistent basis that become the change that we're looking for. Absolutely amazing. I kind of like feel that, uh, you know, everything that you said is just working from the inside out change yourself, then go out and change the way you look at the world and start engaging with the world in a different direction and the world will respond positively. We are going to go just for a little bit of a break. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Time really flies when you're having fun and alas, we're right at the end and we're not going to let go of Richard. He is definitely going to come back. We, I kept on mentioning the, 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 the word, well, the letters BDNF in a minute or two, Richard. What is that? Let's whet our listeners' appetite and uh, we'll explore that further next time you come on. 
So BDNF stands for brain-derived neurotrophy factor. Um, it's one of those seven systems that determines our potential in life, and it's one of my favorite systems. It's responsible for the formation of new brain cells, the retention of brain cells, the maturation of brain cells, connection between brain cells. Fundamentally, it translates into better IQ, enhanced memory, uh, the augmentation of reading and the retention of information. It influences cognitive ability and potential in that space and facilitates creativity and innovation and protects against anxiety and depression. It's my favorite molecule. It's my big discussion point in my book, The Stress Code, really uh, focused and centered on this molecule. I'm really excited to be going through the narrative and, and the power of influencing this molecule and changing the lives of our kids and changing the lives of ourselves and our team members. Fantastic. It sounds exciting, and I'm excited to hear more about it. Again, thank you very much for your valuable, valuable time. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, uh, in summation, just become a better person. You know, the, we are worthy. We are here. Uh, we are able to make a difference. And it's just a matter of changing attitude to end off very quickly. Um, a parable has just come to in, in, into my head that I think is is relevant because when you start to see all of this, you kind of like feel overwhelmed. So there was once a discussion between um, rabbinic students and their rabbi, and the rabbi asked, how far is east from west? And the rabbinical students started arguing about it, and they said, well, it's infinite because the further more you move east, the further away west becomes. And the rabbi said, you're all wrong. Everybody stand up. Face east. And then he said, now everybody stay in the same place and turn around. Now you are facing west. East and West is not infinitely apart. It's actually very, very close. And really what he was saying is that it's just a matter of attitude. Change your attitude, start changing your direction, and you will be able to explore much, much bigger things. Um, so on that note, thank you, Richard, again, for, 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 your, for, for your time and for your incredible insight. Thank you, Fagy, for always uh, being the backbone behind the show. Thank and, you, uh, Please, God, we will be back next week. And, of course, we will definitely be having Richard in, where we are going to have a full-on conversation about BDNF. Thank you, everyone.